This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode 153. Today on our show, it's the best of 2020, part two. So, of course, we had the best of 2020, part one, two weeks ago, but then we had Darren's rant squeezed in there last week, and now we're back to the best of 2020 because we need to complete it now because you wouldn't want to have the best of 2020, part one, and then no part two. So uh, I won't keep you long. Uh, we're just going to go through each episode, uh, just a quick little recap, play a couple of clips maybe, and just to kind of you know, give you an idea of uh, what we did in uh, the second half of 2020, and then you can go back and decide what episodes you want to listen to and get caught up on, but really, you should go back and listen to all of them, of course. Uh, we started off the second half of the year with a huge guest, Jeff Ruby, and uh, Jeff Ruby had all kinds of great stories, so be sure to go back and listen to that episode. Uh, one story in particular that stuck out was, uh, I believe before, it was Game 6 of the 1975 World Series that actually the original game ended up getting rained out. Uh, but he was friends with Sparky Anderson and a lot of the Big Red Machine, and while they were in the locker room, and this happened. Next thing you know, I mean, this is the fifth, sixth game of the World Series. I was about to say, what if he gets hurt wrestling? <laughs> what, if he strange, what if he breaks a thumb with anything, an ankle, anything, okay? And, and this uh, is also, for context, this is arguably the greatest baseball game ever played. I think it was. It turned out to be, yeah. And greatest series, yes. So it got rained out, okay? They never went back that day. So we had a lot of time to wrestle. So (laughs) next thing you know, the benches are flying. I remember seeing a picture of Daryl Cheney doing a somersault. We knocked him over. He winds up in in midair in a somersault. And... uh, Pete Rose is going like this, meaning safe. He's agonizing. John. Everybody's having a great time. And then Sparky is in his room, and he hears this noise. And he comes running out of, the, of, his, of his office at Fenway. And, and I got Johnny on the bottom. But Johnny's got me in a headlock, his arm around my neck. And I can't move. He can't move because I'm on top of him. I got him down. I knew how to wrestle. He didn't know how to wrestle. But he's got me in a headlock. And and choking me, okay. I mean, it was like UFC. I might have had the, you know, I might have lost because he's choking. He don't care if I'm dead or not. He just he wants all out of that. He's getting beat. Yeah, and this is what six years before he backed me at the precinct. Okay, so Sparky comes running out, and Sparky called me Bubba, and he's pulling Bubba. This is my all-star catch. This is the world series. <laughs> What are you doing, Bubble? He's pulling me off. So I get off. And he says, thank God I got to these cameramen and reporters before they left until you cannot publish any of this. And he said, okay, thank God for that. The next day, the New York Daily News. The front page of the New York Daily is me and Ben's wrestling. The front page. Big picture of him with the headlock me and my 66 jersey. 
So it's one of the great stories from Jeff Ruby. Uh, the following week, we learned all about Green Township with Joe Flickinger. He is, uh, I believe, the Green Township Historical Society. So he, he told us all about Green and Coleraine Townships. And I love these episodes. I'm not sure how keen you are on, on this, but uh, I like when we find out about other neighborhoods in Cincinnati. And if you want to come on or you know someone that's going to would like to come on and talk about uh, your neighborhood in Cincinnati or northern Kentucky or southeast Indiana, uh, listen to this episode. Joe knew history. He had a lot of modern information. So it was a really great episode. Uh, very well informed about his community, and it was uh, very interesting. Similarly, Price Hill, we had uh, Samantha and Tina from Price Hill Will. It's an organization in Price Hill that you know, helps uh, development both business and community-wise. Uh, they were great, learned a lot about Price Hill. Cincinnati Bulldogs was the following week. Uh, no, not a defunct sports team. That was Darren talking with a few uh, Instagram influencers, I guess. Uh, and they have the dogs Harrison Ford and Vince Cincy. Sadly, we lost Vince Cincy uh, back in the fall. Vince since he passed away, but the two ladies shared uh, some tips with us about how to be an influencer, what kind of some of the tricks of the trade, not just for Instagram, but for Facebook and Twitter as well. And then the three of them also talked about, you know, what it's like to own uh, these bulldogs and, you know, what, what fun they are. Uh, Science Around Cincinnati was the following episode. Chris Anderson uh, checked in with us, and we talked a lot, of course, about Science Around Cincinnati. He does a YouTube show, and they discuss science, as the title would suggest. We also talked a little bit about the pandemic and how science kind of relates to that. That was interesting. Uh, We had the Reds organist on. uh, 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 I can't remember his first name. (laughs) Shooty is his last name. Anyway, we... uh, uh, and, and I've known the guy for years and years. My Our daughters went to elementary school together. Anyway, he talked about uh, uh, what it's like to be the Reds organist. He has a day job as a Cincinnati fireman, and he also is in the Rusty Griswolds. He talked about both of those things. And he also explained that um, playing the organ is a little bit different than playing a traditional keyboard like he does in the Rusty Griswolds. Okay, this may be more technically in-depth than you really want, but for a piano and keyboard, when I play... Uh, like with a band or just at home, just classical or ragtime or anything like that. Usually the left hand will play some kind of, will play the bass, like a, a bass guitar part. Okay. Um, your right hand will play everything else that fills in. The chords, um, like uh, like the guitar part, you know, fills a gap. Um, so your right hand will play chords and a melody. So essentially your left hand's the bass player, your right hand is the guitar and the singer. Um, I mean, that's they put it putting it pretty simply. Okay. Um, but that's basically how you think of it. On an organ, um, your right hand plays pretty much just the melody. Your left hand does all the chords and the, the stuff that fills in, and uh-huh. your feet do the bass. Ah. I just... So it's it's uh, you kind of change things around a lot, and you use your feet, um, which is that's a that's a a huge change um you know you're throwing two other limbs into trying to get things coordinated so instead of having two limbs doing things you're having four limbs uh, that you have to coordinate and that was my biggest hurdle john judy talking about how it is different playing a regular organ or keyboard uh, versus playing the uh, organ for the cincinnati reds which hopefully we'll be hearing again soon uh talking about cincinnati trains and the following episode uh and then we also talked about cvg and the following episode with the folks there found out about the history of the airport of course and what's going on today it's michael michael stopped by michael flannery and uh, talking about his days on fox 19 his days as a, a comedian out in los angeles uh returning to cincinnati to be I guess what he describes as a big fish and a small pond. And uh, although when he took the gig at Fox 19 to be the host of the afternoon kids club, uh, he had some uh, hit some ground rules. 
Yep, it's it's the it's called the big fish in a small pond, and they they did that in the. And, they were saying, okay, now you're going to be a host of this TV show at our station. Are you going to be like a pirate? Are huh. you going to be a, a leprechaun? And I said, no, 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 I'm not. That's like, I'm going to be Michael. And if the kids love it, then I have a bench I can go to because I'm always going to be Michael. So we'll just go by that and I'll be, you know, maybe the older brother or uncle or whatever. But I'm just going to be myself instead of the pirate. And I get tired of doing the pirate. Then what do I do? Wow, they listen to you, huh? Yeah, which was amazing. Yeah, you're like Seinfeld. You, yeah. you 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 demanded to maintain creative control, or it wasn't going to fly. I couldn't grab all the control, but I told them I'm allowed to say no to anything I say or do. And they said, "Okay." What kind of things okay. did you have to say no to? Uh, the pirate was one. Okay. Um, for Valentine's <laughs> Day, they wanted me to hold a a heart on a stick and throw confetti in the air and stuff like that. But I got in some trouble for some of the things I did. Um, oh, I want to hear these stories. Yeah, yeah. I was I was eating a bowl of cereal and then noticed the camera was on me. So I said something about, we'll be right back with more cartoons after this with a whole mouthful of Cheerios and milk coming out and down my shirt, which is funny. And every kid thought it was funny. And so they were doing it at the table before they went to school and had to stop and go change their shirts <laughs> and so mom started calling the station what well yeah i asked you know can you ha- stop having michael do that because i do one clip and it would run for a month and do you remember baloney map no uh, we need a baloney man shirt i like it already baloney map yeah it's, i would take a <laughs> i had a, a map of the united states where each state you know wooden state was cut out like the shape of the state. And I put that on a piece of bologna and cut out the shape of the state. And going into the commercial, I go, it's time for bologna, man. I'll be right back and show you what it is. And I'm chewing on a piece of bologna. So it looks like I chewed out the piece of the state. And then when they were holding a piece of glass in between me and the camera, and I go, okay, here it is. And I slap it up on the glass. It's Kentucky. And the capital is Frankfurt. Because baloney sticks to glass. And then they'd add the capital in there. And then we got a letter from or a call from a mom who, in the spring, couldn't all winter long, she couldn't figure out why her kitchen smelled bad. The kids had put a slice of baloney on every single pane of glass on the kitchen window, but they had the drapes closed all winter. And they just sat there and got old and smelled bad. Michael Flannery talking about his days at Fox 19. An old friend of Josh's and a guy I'm friendly with, Greg Warren. He's a stand-up comedian. You may have seen him on your TV uh, over the years. Uh, used to work at PNG like Josh. And uh, he kind of shared some, oh, got a little reflective on his career. He's had a, a pretty good career. Do follow him on, on all of his platforms and so forth. If you're like the wrestling, uh, he was a big high school wrestler. And uh, he coached a little bit uh, on and off while he was doing stand-up. And, uh, and he does a wrestling character, if you're into that. And you might know him from the Bob and Tom show, actually. It's probably where you know him uh, best. as also Last Comic Standing. But here he is uh, kind of reflecting on some of the things in his career uh, around the time of Last Comic Standing. I took a couple of them early on. Then I was like, okay, I'm not, I know what that's about. I'm not going, I'm not going to go work for those guys again. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. So what would you say was your biggest turning point in like really really getting going as a full-time comic was it just the amount of club work you were getting or was there some some comic or club that that really helped you more than others was it finally getting on bob and tom 
Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I feel like my career has been a whole lot of like little victories, you know. But I think, you know, I, I got Montreal pretty quickly. You know, I think you did too. I mean, I so I got invited to the new faces at Montreal. That was a break where I got an agent and a manager. And then, you know, I, I had a, a bit that sort of got played on Bob and Tom a lot for about a year and a half. And that really... And then Bob and Tom put me on their tour probably about three or four years after I quit my day job. And like right when all that, that all, and I got a couple TV credits around that time too. So all that sort of happened within two or three years. And I got to, you know, that pretty much made it so I could be a full-time headliner. But there was, and then along the way, there was all these things where I'm like, well, okay, I'm going to do this thing and then it'll break me completely. And that, you know, those just, it's, they've all been like, everything winds up being a little anticlimactic because you, you're like, Hey, I'm going to do this thing and I'm either going to be, you know, uh, a billionaire or I'm going to be out of the business selling potato chips again. And it, you know, it's all for me, it's been, you know, neither. Um, it's all positive, but it's, uh, you know, in, in increment, I shouldn't say all positive. I had to, I've had some setbacks too, that I thought, well, I just blew the op- I blew an opportunity there. That was a, you know, I, um, <laughs> That I did last like comic my Montreal experience. Yeah, I did a last comic stand and Montreal for me was like it was like a, a small win, but I had it built up so much like that I was gonna be the superstar that it was a loss. And then but I got stuff out of it. I was on last comic standing a couple times in my career, and like the second time I was on it was fairly late. And I at that point I was like, I thought I could win it, and I got to the semifinals and I lost and I didn't some things didn't happen the way that I wanted them to. And I, you know, for a, a good while, I sort of talked myself into, well, that was your last chance. It's stupid. It's don't ever, I, sh- I, I spent six years, six months not writing when I should have been. And, uh, yeah, you know, and then things started to better right, things. 12 happen. years. Take <laughs> <laughs> your life in the corporate world gave you the work ethic to you know, sit down and write or uh i didn't work that hard in the corporate world darren <laughs> <laughs> greg warren talking about stand-up comedy and reminiscing with his old pal josh need their days at png and uh doing the stand-up comedy here in cincinnati and then eventually greg doing it in houston and then los angeles and, and places elsewhere uh we had the folks from beach acres on and for those not familiar from the east side you probably know beach acres if you're from the west side maybe not so much but it was formerly an orphanage and now it's more of a, a family resources center and uh, the folks Beach Acres explained the history of it as an orphanage and then what its mission is today. So that was really cool. Bill Reinhardt from WVXU stopped by. Uh, didn't stop by. We called him uh, via the Skype. And uh, he discussed his days at WLW as well as his uh, gig now working for Cincinnati Public Radio. And uh, the new thing he does, uh, that where people are, if you're curious about something in Cincinnati, well, he'll dig into it and find out uh, what it's all about. Like there were these, I guess, these boxes around downtown. He didn't know what they were for. Doug into that. Uh, oh, found out what uh, Fields Erdle Road, who it's named after. Found out half of it. We had to speculate on the other half. So, uh, so look at uh, do dig into that one. Let me see who else stopped by here, or did did we call? We talked about freeways after Bill Reinhardt, by the way, uh, and that was a fascinating conversation. That always fascinates me the whole highway system, not only here but just in just in other cities. And uh, yeah, we spent an hour on it, and it did not get dull. It was it was awesome. Uh, Roger Naylor uh, was on the week after that. He was formerly uh, briefly Gary Burbank's co-host when Doc Wolf went off to write cookbooks, and then of course, uh, but Roger had I guess other passions. Uh, he'd written for 
well, he'll explain in this clip coming up that he'd written for a lot of publications in town. But when he was 18, he took a trip to Arizona, fell in love with the state, and desperately wanted to return. Well, yeah, I, you know, I always knew that Arizona's where I wanted to live. You know, I mean, uh, I knew I was going to be a writer since I was 13. I knew I was going to live in Arizona since I was 18. Uh, but I never, you know, I didn't, I was still kind of figuring out how to, what kind of writer I wanted to be, because since I never finished college and I didn't really feel like a journalist, I didn't feel like a novelist, I wasn't sure, but I knew I just, so I was always writing and I was just kind of trying to get where I wanted to go, but uh, but I knew it had to be uh, Arizona. When my wife and I got married, I took her out to Arizona honeymoon, spent 10 days going all over the state, I said, this is where we're going to live someday. Every vacation we would take would be to Arizona. We kept looking around and, and scouting around. I would sometimes just go out by myself because I was, you know, I had to be out hiking in the desert. And um, so she kept, she was the one who kind of kept saying, "Look, you know, you're never going to be happy until you're out there." And uh, but it, to me, it was, I, and I knew that was true. But it was also a little scary, you know, because I mean, I was a, a little bit of a celebrity in Cincinnati. You know, I could always make a living in Cincinnati, you know, I'd done radio, I'd done television, and, you know, I was writing for Cincinnati Magazine, I was writing for the Cincinnati Enquirer Times, I was writing for City Beat and Everybody's News, all the little alternatives, I was writing for Ohio Magazine, um, uh, you know, I could always make a living there, I had enough of a reputation to do, and so the idea of giving all of that up, and moving across the country and trying to make a living as a freelance writer, it was it was scary. So I was a little reluctant, and I was just very fortunate to be married to a wonderful woman who believed in me. Who kept saying, "You'll make it. You'll succeed. You'll you'll do fine. I I, I trust you." So um, I finally said, "Yeah, let's let's go." So you know, I told Gary it would be leaving, and I think that's when you know he started. He started, you know, Doc had started coming around and doing some of the right, helping out with a little bit of the writing. Uh, so I think he Doc came back into the role. And, you know, I left. We we drove, uh, flew out to Cincinnati, spent a couple, spent a week, picked out a house, bought it, flew back, picked everything up, and drove uh, drove out to Arizona. Moved in 25 years ago, and it's just been the happiest, the best decision I've ever made. Roger Neller explaining how he found his way out to Arizona about the same time that Doc Wolf was coming back on to the Gary Burbank show. And uh, yeah, if some of you may remember Roger as the co-host of the Burbank show, uh, Bob Holtzman stopped by uh, the next week. Bob Holtzman, uh, sportscaster, and uh, we talked uh, about uh, he works for ESPN mostly. I still believe he works for ESPN. And uh, well, he had uh, some interesting things to say uh, about that gig. There's two memories that stand out that are of that same thread. There's he wanted me to see Nolan Ryan pitch at Riverfront Stadium, and I'll never forget. Uh, I was eight years old when Pete Rose came up to bat against Eric Shaw, and my dad took me out of the bathtub, <laughs> put a robe on me, and sat me down in front of the TV because he wanted me to see Pete break the hit record. Yep. It's it, never forget that, even absolutely. though I was eight years old. No, that's one of those things that it's 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 sort of a where were you when it happened moment, and those things happen, I think, more in baseball than in any other sport. And you know, I, yeah, I mentioned the Red Sox Yankee series I covered in two thousand four. There was a a time period for about four or five years, starting in two thousand four, when I covered almost every Red Sox Yankees game from like oh four oh five oh six oh seven. 
Um, and, and there's nothing like the that series just because you you see fans and you talk to fans and you, and you see the emotion and you know that here's this 21 year old kid in Boston whose great grandfather you know was the last person in their family to ever see the Red Sox win the World Series and how much it means that he finally got a chance to do that and you saw it with the Cubs a few years ago and I don't know that that exists in in other sports I mean it's it's I don't know how to describe it uh, other than magic. I mean, you brought up the Jose Fernandez thing and, you know, D Gordon. I just watched, I don't know why I just watched that replay a few weeks ago of D Gordon leading off um, the bottom of the first inning, I think in that game by hitting a home run Yeah, and just losing first home it. run of the year. It long, the longest home run he's ever hit ever. Yeah. Um, and then just losing it, rounding the bases like that can't be just luck. There, it's 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 just there's something about this game that's hard to it's hard to put your finger on. Bob Holtzman from ESPN uh, lives in Northern Kentucky now. He is digging out. I don't think he's from here originally, but he fell in love with the area, and uh, he explains that uh, in the episode as well and why he decided to settle here in Cincinnati. T.T. Stern Enzi, the following week, film critic for the for City Beat and also for Fox 19, and we talked about movies and how a kid gets in, interested into movies, and uh, it's a fascinating story. Uh, and he also talks about you know, just movies. Uh, that you should uh, probably be checking out uh, during this pandemic. So that was a great episode. David Wecker uh, was on the following week. You know David Wecker from the 90s. He used to write for The Post. He was uh, he did the Backyard Barbecue with Matt Reese on WLW. And, uh, well, he kind of explains how that gig came about. And then they started having me on with Jim Scott in the mornings on Wednesday, which, to my chagrin, he started calling it Wacky Wednesday. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. I remember those. You do you? Yeah, yeah. In fact, and, Jim's uh, been on the show, as a matter of fact. Is what? Jim Scott's been on the show. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? A very nice guy. Yes. Jim Scott, I'm gonna, I am I shouldn't tell this. It, it, I'm going to tell Anyway, he asked me one time, one Wednesday morning, he said, what size shoe do you wear? And I said, uh, 12. And uh, he said, well, would you like these? And he put this floor shine box on the the counter in between us and inside were these shoes that I would never wear. They were like golf shoes with tassels on them and, but not golf shoes, but you know, slip loafers with tassels on them, you know, that kind of collegiate kind of looking shoe. And he said, I bought these and I don't really like them. Would you like them? And I, you know, someone offers you a gift. You, you don't want to say, nah, I, I, I usually say yes, even if I don't want it. So I said, Oh, okay. Hey, thanks very much. And then I got him uh, after the show. I looked at him. You know, I think Jim had polio or something as a child because one leg was longer than the other. Anyway, one of these shoes had been built up at like an inch on the heel and the, and the sole. And uh, so I couldn't really wear them, but I, I, I still have them. <laughs> nice memento. So, um, so what happens with, with McConnell's producer? Oh, so she had me do the flight to Paris. Randy liked it. And then, uh, oh, she ended up working at the Post. So she got married. She And then last I heard from her, uh, she's in Atlanta, and she was producing Donald Trump's radio show, which I didn't know Donald Trump had one, but I guess seven or eight years ago he had a radio show. Hmm. But... Um, 
So then after, after doing, um, you know, wacky Wednesday, um, uh, Matt Reese and I decided let's, let's, let's see if they'll let us do this backyard barbecue show. And they did. <coughs> and we were uh, fired. The show was canceled three times, but they brought us back due to popular demand. After the fourth time, though, it was too much. David Wecker explaining the uh, origins of the backyard barbecue with Matt Reese. And apparently, uh, word on the street is, and I'm basing this on what he told us, uh, they're looking to do it as a podcast. So we'll have to get an update from David and see what's going on with that. And Megan Mangella was on the following week, did the entire interview on her break between the 4 o'clock news and the uh, 10 o'clock news that she does. Uh, I guess she, I didn't know this till the end of the interview. She got on the phone with us right as she was leaving the studio, went home, Helped get her kid to bed, came back to the studio, and we finished the interview as she was walking back in to Channel 12 uh, to do the 10 o'clock news. Pretty funny. Uh, Freemasons were on the following week. Josh Lansdale, what are the Masons up to? Well, let's find out. And uh, nothing nefarious as it turns out, but it's pretty interesting, uh, the history of uh, of the organization and what they do now. It's still an ongoing organization. We talked to Stephanie Tuis right around Thanksgiving from Tuis Farms about turkeys and that sort of thing. Uh, very timely, very interesting. You know, it was... Uh, the farm is out there in Erlanger, and of course, back in the day, that was properly the country. I mean, that was way out in the country. Now, of course, it's surrounded by the freeway, and it's uh, a lot of development going on around the area, but they're still selling them turkeys. And then after that, we talked to Jay Morrison. He is the uh, beat writer for, I believe, The Athletic for the Cincinnati Bengals, and uh, he, well, he talked to us about how things are a little different, of course, this year, obviously, in the National Football League, but also how the Bengals, just in general, even before the pandemic, uh, treated their uh, the beat writers uh, differently and, quite frankly, a little bit better than the other teams in the league. Yeah, in a regular year, we're we're down there uh, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday for um – Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for practice, Monday just for open locker room and, and press conferences coming off the game the day before. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, there's well, there's always an open locker room around 45 minutes so you can get in there and talk to guys you need to talk to. It, we don't have that this year. They, they, they wheel them out in Zoom press conferences and everybody has access to the same players. You can't just pull a guy off to the side and you know work on a story that nobody else is working on. Um, that, that makes it tough. But... Um, and yeah, we do. We travel. If it's a, if it's a drivable game, we'll leave Saturday afternoon and go to Detroit or Cleveland or Pittsburgh, one of those sites. If it's a, if it's a game that you got to fly to, usually catch a flight Saturday morning and, and get to the the city. And then all the traveling media gets together the night before the game. We have we we usually the Bengals are really cool about this. They're actually there's a couple ways that they're cool and different about this. They they will allow you to fly on the team flight for free. None of the print reporters take them up on that because it's, if you do that, you are, you are on the plane coming home an hour after the game. And that's just not the best writing environment, especially if you're, you know, you're writing about the team having lost and you happen to be sitting next to a player <laughs> reading over your shoulder about <laughs> So, but all the TV guys do it. The, the TV, uh, the TV cameramen and reporters, they, they, they typically do fly with the team and then fly back home that night. Uh, we'll fly commercial. Everybody gets together at the team hotel. The Bengals allow the the media to stay at the team hotel on the team rate. And um, that, that way we're all in the same place. You actually end up getting some good feature stories, just kind of interacting with guys in the lobby and at the hotel bar or whatever it might be. You see them out walking the streets and, and going to, um, 
you know, whatever the, the tourist attractions are in that city. Um, it's just a good way to kind of see them outside of the locker room and not have a, a, a microphone in their face grilling them. You just get to talk to them as men and you get some interesting stories that way. And that's, that's all gone by the wayside this year. The, the, the teams don't even there once they land, they take a bus to the hotel they go in a separate entrance. They go up to their rooms, and the players do not leave their rooms the entire time they're there. They may go to a ballroom on another floor to do a walkthrough or have meetings or meals, things like that, but they are not allowed to leave the hotel. They're not allowed to be down in the common area, in, you know, in the lobby. Uh, if they've got family and friends in to see the game, they can't interact with them. So it's, it's, it's really different this year. Jay Morrison, uh, the beat writer for the Cincinnati Bengals for TheAthletic.com. So a kind of interesting episode after that. uh, I accidentally discovered that our head designer, uh, Ricky Henry, uh, is interested in D.B. Cooper, the skyjacker from the 1970s. You may be familiar. Or 1971, specifically. He uh, leapt out of a plane, and no one ever saw him again, and he took like $350,000 with him, and only some of the money was found. It's an interesting story. And Rick and I go over some of the suspects, and uh, this turned out to be a pretty popular episode. Uh, People were, uh, some people emailed in, and uh, some folks uh, saw me. We didn't do many events this year. I'm also the events coordinator for Cincy Shirts, and we did one event. We did the one in the park, in Washington Park, for Christmas, and uh, someone had stopped by the booth and was mentioning, oh, that D.B. Cooper episode of the podcast was great. So maybe we'll do more of those, but maybe more so with um, like Josh and Darren and some of their interests because, um, well, really, since he shirts is the Josh and Darren show now, isn't it? Uh, so we had, uh, Ronnie Salerno made his third appearance on the show. Uh, he has a blog called Queen City Discovery, but now I think he's changed it to RonnieSalerno.com. So he still has all the abandoned stuff and he's still like interested in that, but uh, he also is doing like more artistic qu- stuff and more photojournalism. So now it's all one big, uh, I guess, clearinghouse for all of that stuff. So do check out Ronnie Salerno's website. We had Jeff Thomas on the following week. Uh, Jeff Thomas of Jeff and Jen off of Q102. And uh, I didn't really know the backstory about those guys. I didn't realize that they were actually a team before down in Florida, and they brought them up to here to Q102 because Q102 at the time, I guess, I don't really listen to Q102, um, so I didn't really uh, realize that they had gone through a ton of morning teams trying to find you know, the right mix. I guess their last successful thing was some kind of morning zoo back in the 80s, and they kind of struggled since then. And, uh, well, Jeff explains uh, when they, what happened when they arrived in Cincinnati. It's my understanding... I read an article that John Keyswider wrote in the Cincinnati Inquirer around that time. He was writing about us being hired, and it was it was one of those like, uh, here we go again at Q102 <laughs> articles, because I think he wrote, John Keyswider wrote that Q102 had cycled through 13 different morning show combinations over the over the last 10 years. Wow. And at that time, Q102 itself was trying to figure out what it wanted to be because it had been this dominant top 40 for many, many years. And then, it, you know, competitors came onto the scene and it just kind of lost its way trying to reestablish itself. And part of that journey was figuring out who was going to anchor the morning show. And if a team had you know maybe lasted a year or two they might have gotten an opportunity to go somewhere else or the ratings weren't just good enough for them to hang in there and so it was a revolving door there for a while and it was a risk for us to come because the q102 was known for cycling through multiple morning shows over this long period of time so we were rolling the dice moving to a new city with no real guarantee that it would work. 
we weren't all that successful in Tampa. So, uh, did it give you uh, any uh, kind of confidence though that the station didn't had not flipped formats in uh, a generation? That that at least because. You, know, you have two things, I guess, are working against you in radio. People might not like you. Your show just might not work. And like you was mentioned in New York, the format flips, and more than likely, you're gone. We had no confidence whatsoever <laughs> because um, not only did we not – we weren't feeling that confidence in, our, in ourselves, like that much confidence in ourselves. We knew, we knew we had potential. We knew we had something that we thought could develop into something, but it was untested. It was unproven, and – we got the sense that Q102 was like, okay, you guys are it. Like, if you don't, if this doesn't work out, it, we're not just like blowing you guys up. We may reconsider what what we're going to do as a radio station. Was the sense that I got. So Jeff Thomas, he also at the beginning of the episode uh, goes to his uh, dresser drawer. He does the he did the interview from his uh, from his bedroom at his uh, place uh, uh, somewhere in Cincinnati, and he uh, showed us all the Cincinnati shirts he has. He had a ton of them. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And then we wrapped up the year, of course, with Bruce Cromer, uh, timely as you know him mostly as uh, Scrooge from Playhouse in the Park's production of A Christmas Carol, but he's been in tons and tons of other stuff. He was in a movie last year. He talks about that. So he talks a lot about how you can just make a living. At as you know, regionally as an actor, he is also an instructor at Wright State University. So um, yeah, we, we, uh, he told his story and and some of the things he's up to, and you know how what, how things are going today. And uh, there you have it. That is uh, 2020 part two. Like I said, go back and listen to all those episodes. Uh, they are all really good, I guarantee. And uh, if you haven't already, uh, tell your friends and loved ones about the show, obviously, including folks who may no longer live in the area but still feel connected to the tri-state. Today's show is produced by me with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. Find their music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. Find vintage tees from great places like Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, Philadelphia, and more at OldSchoolShirts.com. We've got like oh, like over 30 cities in there now uh, with your defunct sports teams, old shopping malls, old restaurants, old amusement parks, radio stations, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's like Cincy Shirts, but for those towns. And again, the promo code for this episode. Oh, I didn't pick a promo code, did I? Let's go with part two. Part two, the word part and the number two. Part two, I'll do both, actually. I'll do part two and part two. That'll be your your, uh, your promo code for this week. And uh, all lowercase, all lowercase on the part part. Uh, and you can use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order. And, uh, yeah, or you can go in the stores in, over the Rhine and Hyde Park and say, hey, I'd like to use the podcast code part two for uh, my 20% off. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest Cincy Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye.
I said goodbye.